What's up, guys? I'm Jack Noll, and this is Decoding Athletes with myself and Nick Bright. Indeed. How are you doing today, Jack? You good? I'm not doing too bad, mate. Not too bad. Good, good. Uh, got the shorts on as well. Is, it, is, is, is there a microclimate down there or something? <laughs> mate, <laughs> it's not shorts weather here, that's for sure. We're closer to Australia than you are up there. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot warmer. I've actually got the fan on. That's why I'm, that's why I'm in here. It's, it's very warm. Wow. Got the aircon on and everything. Well, today, right, uh, speaking of bodies and all of that, that's what we're decoding. We're decoding putting our bodies on the line, which... You know, for, for for you, you do it every single time you cross that white line and you go out onto that field as a rugby player. So just to, you know, set the tone, explain to someone outside of sport, like myself, um, what your body goes through as a professional athlete, because it's not easy. No, uh, it's not too fair, mate. This is probably the one that, that sucks the most about, you know, what we do. So I've, I'm, I'm 27 now and I've actually had nine operations so far. I've just had my ninth operation on my foot which pretty much sums up what we kind of go through. You know, I I do get injured quite a lot. Uh, I think it's maybe the way I play, um, how I am on the field. But, you know, it's kind of all part of it. It's obviously the worst part of it, but obviously there's so many highs that we do and that's why we, we get injured, we rehab, we get fit again and we kind of do it all over again. I mean, this, this might sound like a, a mad question, but are you ever 100% fit? Because, you know, you, you hear these these kind of stories all the time about players playing with a little bit of a knock or a little bit of this. Maybe they'll have an injection and they'll play. So, you know, are you ever at 100%, would you say? I, I wouldn't say so. I, I think you, you, you come close now and again. You have times where you feel good. I'd say you probably you're at your best and you feel your fittest. It's probably when you've just come back from a pre-season, maybe. You know, you've had six weeks, um, six, seven weeks of just, you know, not bashing your body. A lot of fitness, a lot of running. The weather's good, so it's warm. Uh, the, the temperature of the air, is, I think, has a massive part to do with it as well. But I'll probably say when you come back from a preseason, that's when you're at your best, but you're probably not 100% still. You've probably got a couple of niggles from the season before. Uh, most rugby players all have tape on their body somewhere, whether it's ankles, thumbs, fingers. It could even be from a dislocated finger that you did during training during the week and you strap it up and you kind of crack on with it. Um, but yeah, I'd say... At your youngest, you're probably the fittest you are. And obviously, the further and further on down your career you go, the, the most pain you're in. <laughs> there'll, there'll be people, you know, listening and watching this going, but you're only 27, mate. I, I feel 30, I feel 37, mate. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> getting out that prime example, mate, getting out of the, of the bed in the morning, the walk to my toilet isn't far. <laughs> and I walk out, my missus laughs at me every single morning because I walk out like an old man. I can't, I can't bend my ankles. I can't put my knee over my toe. It takes me a good you know, 20 minutes to actually warm up uh, and my ankles lube up a little bit. Um, so I'm able to walk down the stairs then. <laughs> You've got to do that, those morning stretches, mate. They're very important stretching. Um, <laughs> but what's what's the worst you've ever felt with your body? Is there a particular injury that just really took it out of you? I think I've, I've had so many. I think there's so many different ones. So when I was younger, I suffered with patella tendonitis in my left knee and I played with that for a good, you know, three, four years. Uh, eventually had it operated on. So like I'm on top of that. So that was quite annoying one when I was younger because I couldn't sit in a car or anything. I couldn't sit in a position at 90 degrees because my knees feel like they, they, they literally felt like my knee would explode. So I rehabbed that for a while, got that operated on. That's an annoying one. Probably my ankles at the moment. I've had two two operations on my left ankle uh, and one on my right. So I'm still struggling a little bit with my left ankle. Um, that's what I struggle with most mornings. Fractured my face and my eye socket, which was an, a, an annoying one as well. I've got a plate in there now. So again, that was probably one of my most fr- frustrating ones because the way the way I kind of do with it is when I'm rehabbing an injury, so like I'm rehabbing my foot at the moment, it's okay because I get to work on my upper body, I get to work in the gym, I can still do fitness, I can still do swimming. So it kind of keep, keeps me pretty mentally sane. 
Whereas when I did my face, I literally had it operated on and they said, right, eight weeks, you got to go home, sit on the sofa. You can't raise your blood pressure. You can't, you know, go in bright lights or anything. You've, you've literally just got to chill. Um, so that was the one I, I suffered with the most, I think. Yeah, well, just on that, actually, I wanted to talk about the, the, the mental side of things because that is a big thing. You know, as fans and as people that don't play sport, you know, we see our favourite players getting injured or whatever and we're like, ah, you know, they're, they're out for eight weeks. Oh, that's so annoying for the team. But, I mean, for you, especially when it's one when you've got to sit around and do nothing, for somebody who's so active, how do you deal with that? It sucks, like, big style. Like, and I've, I've learned over the years, I've gone from you know, really, really struggling with it mentally. It's taken me, I've kind of taught myself because I've I've always got to try and find the positive of things that I do. So like I said before, like the positive for me is when I get injured, I get to work on other sides. So if I injure my upper body, I get to work on my legs. I can make them as strong as I can. I can build the muscles around my legs to work on, help my knees. You know, I'm working on upper body, I'm working on my shoulders. So hopefully I'll never injure a shoulder because I'm making that strong around the area. I'm working on my neck. Um, so I'm covering everything. So and for me, I always got to say, stay active, like you said. So whether it's swimming, whether it's a watt bike, as long as I'm doing stuff like that, I'm 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 happy. I'm okay. I can get on with it. The, the, the times I really struggle is obviously when I'm injured and then I'm watching the boys play. That that sucks big style because you miss it. That's what you really miss the most. During the week's not too bad because you're always busy, but at the weekends you're doing nothing. You're sitting there and watching. So that's one bit that I, I don't like. I think the th- the, also having a family. I think I think the big thing, like I said, when I mentally struggled. You know, I'd come home, I'd be sulking, I'd be upset that I'm not fit. Whereas now having a family, I'd come in my message and say, look, buck your ideas up. You've got two kids here, you need to get on with it, stop moping around because you're making us all unhappy. Um, so again, it goes to the way I live at home and what I do with no rugby being in the house and anything. It kind of gives me a mental refresh and, you know, rugby isn't everything. When you've got a family, rugby is very, very small. Our guest today has put his body on the line more than any other you'll hear from the series. It's the incredible Ed Jackson. Ed was a professional rugby player who fractured his vertebrae in 2017 after diving into the shadow end of a pool. He was told he'd probably never walk again, but here we are three years later and Ed is climbing mountains and always looking for his next challenge. There he is. Hello, mate. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we've got you. Yeah, we've got you, mate. Is that in your house? I'm in <laughs> my... Me or him? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing him. <laughs> yeah. I'm in, he's, I'm in my gym, in mate. Gym. With all that... Yeah, mate. Who graffitied the walls? A guy called Lewis. Alfie Edits down here. He lives just up the road from me. Um, I had my gym finished and he said, mate, can I come over and, and do a bit of work on your walls, mate? He's, he's, he's a bit of a wizard, to be honest. It's, it's a good thing you asked, Ed, because, you know, sometimes people might you know think it's a squat or something they've just rocked up somewhere <laughs> some some old public toilets that have just that been red, like... <laughs> i was thinking with that red light it looked a little bit suspect <laughs> good job right. you got some dumbbells behind you mate otherwise i'd have thought you were trying to oh, no, mate. That. They're, they're spray painted on as well mate they're not real i wanted to you know i wanted you to tell your story before we go any further um so so tell us about what happened to you and when it happened Back in 2017, I was playing I was sort of 10 years into a professional rugby career, but um, I had the summer off because I'd injured my shoulder and I went back home to Bath, um, went to my parents' house. We went over to a family friend's house for a barbecue. Uh, it was like the first hot day of the year. So, you know, typical thing, you, you just find the, the closest mate with a pool and, and, and head around there because unlike Jack, I don't live by the sea. So we found the closest watering hole just after it was really innocuous sort of thing. I just, after lunch, went down, they had like a feature pool. Um, so it wasn't really obvious, like 
shallow end, deep end, had like a rock face in one side and there was a waterfall in one end and I just took my t-shirt off, went over to the edge and dived in thinking it was going to be deep. I couldn't see the bottom because the waterfall was sort of um, made the water sort of unsteady so you couldn't see through it and what I thought was about six feet deep turned out to only be about three feet deep so I smacked my head on the bottom of the pool. Um, I knew I'd hit my head pretty hard um, but as Jack knows like we kind of hit our head for a living so we're kind of used to that and I was still I was still conscious so I was like okay well it can't be that bad but I better stand up and check if I'm bleeding and it was when I tried to stand up that um, I realised something was seriously wrong because I couldn't move. So first of all, I was just confused. I was like, you know, you're so used to every time before I've tried to move something, you, I was able to move it. And now all of a sudden I couldn't. But then that confusion quickly turned to sort of panic because um, then I realised, shit, I could drown here. Um, and uh, luckily my dad was in the pool and one of my mates came over um, and they pulled me to the surface. And that was it. I dislocated my C6 and C7 vertebrae at the bottom of my neck. Uh, the disc in between had exploded and one of the shards of disc had cut my spinal cord in half. So I was in a pretty serious, serious situation. Luckily, my dad's a doctor. Um, he knew there was some, must be something wrong with my head or my neck. So he kept me still in the pool, which turned out that ended up saving my life, really, because I, I did actually end up getting resuscitated three times in the ambulance. So it was a pretty close call. Um, I was told I was never going to walk again. I was in hospital for like four months, but been very lucky that bit by bit my body's come back to me. I'm now still paralysed down one side of my body, but um, I'm up on two feet and I'm independent, which is way more than I ever could have asked for. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy three and a half years. I'm doing all sorts of stuff now off the back of it that I never thought I would do and just feeling very fortunate to be here, really. Do you know what stuck out for me in what you just told me there? Um, you know, when you initially hit your head on, on, the, on the bottom of the pool, you said you tried to stand up and that, and that, that moment is when you realised. So just try and contextualise for us exactly what you thought at that time. Um, did, did you think it was as serious as it ended up being? Like I said at the start, it was just um, confusion. Like, because it's something you're just so used to being able to do is just when you set, tell your foot to move, your leg to move. And I'm pretty comfortable in water. I used to swim a lot when I was a kid. But then it pr quickly turned to panic because like the... <laughs> there's no more sort of primal feeling than not being able to breathe. And because I was still underwater, I just hope someone's seen seen this. I don't know how long I've got. Luckily, they realised because the angle I, di I dove in that um, I must have hit my head on the bottom. So they came straight over. So I was only underwater. It ended, only ended up being underwater for sort of 10, 15 seconds in the end, but still had enough time to have that panic. Then afterwards, I was just, my dad was really good because he just kept everyone calm because he was a doctor. I knew something was seriously wrong because I couldn't move anything. I mean, it was... It was pretty clear but it but I was just I think I was in shock and I'm so used to with injuries before like it was my sixth what sixth seventh uh, yeah my neck operation was my seventh operation you know rugby's a stupid sport so I'd had plenty before I just thought go to hospital have an op I'll be all right um and then as the shock wore off um and the next sort of 24 hours were just a bit of a whirlwind you know in and out of scans loads of doctors and anesthetists seven hour operation then I woke up in intensive care and then it all started to sink in what I'd actually done to myself and and then then you start contemplating what this means for for the rest of your life and um yeah it was pretty pretty scary I think that those initial moments I was in shock apparently I was like cracking jokes to the paramedics and, and things like that and I can't I can remember the moment hit my head on the bottom really clearly and I can remember all of that but the 
the rest of it was just all a bit of a bit of a blur of adrenaline it's, and and I, I actually didn't know that I'd been resuscitated three times until a year later when someone plucked up the courage to tell me I just thought I was feeling a bit sleepy in the ambulance but that 15 minute journey they were supposed to take to get to hospital apparently took two and a half hours because they kept having to pull over to do it and I, I thought it took 15 minutes um so you know in those situations you, your mind works in weird ways and uh, shock probably stopped me from panicking too much but then um yeah it, it, when it all started to sink in was, was wasn't until sort of 24 hours later after the operation when I was lying in intensive care Jack because I know you've said to me that rugby isn't everything and you know you've had a family now and that's the most important thing and I, I totally understand that but you still love rugby you know you live and breathe this so you know how would you feel if uh you had a serious injury and you you, you know you couldn't play anymore it's weird, mate, because I look back, you know, over the last few years, there's been, you know, a couple of other serious injuries as well. You know, obviously Rob Horn, that was the, the Aussie that was at Northampton, severed a nerve in his neck and his shoulder, so he'd lost feeling in his arm. Um, there's obviously Fatalufa that was uh, at Worcester as well. Do you know, the big thing that always petrifies me is just not being able to lift up my girls again or, you know, be able to cuddle them or be able to do that, um, anything like that. You know, that scares the living hell out of me because that's kind of everything. Um, that's everything that is that is for life for me at the moment. That's everything that I care about. But, you know, at the same time, under the same breath, is the reason I'm I'm so thankful for the sport and what I do is because I'm giving them the life that they have at the moment. I'm doing everything I can do to better their lives, and that's why I'm playing. Um, it's gone from the start of of playing for fun, playing for my mates. You know, obviously, I'm still doing that and I'm still loving that. But now it's all about making their life better. And unfortunately there is a bit of a, a sacrifice. Every single rugby player takes that field, knows that it could end badly, but we still do it. We still go out there and play just because the reward is extremely high. And like like, like we mentioned, that rugby is a very short career. So it is a gamble at the end of the day. It's a gamble whether you get out the other side of it now because the game's so physical. There's Players are bigger, stronger, faster. So it is always a bit of a gamble, but I try not to think about that. You know, that's, that's the scary side of it. And if you go into a game thinking of, of stuff like that, then you know, you are going to maybe shoot yourself in the foot a little bit. But mm. I try and find the positives of it, to be honest. Do, do, do you both, I mean, you both can answer this as, you know, a, a current player and an ex-player. Do you think the, the attitude towards injuries in rugby uh, has changed uh, since you were in academies and stuff? No, not really. And I don't think, I don't think it should. Obviously, we've got, we've had a lot of stuff recently around the concussions and the HIAs, which is obviously pretty scary and sad to see with people getting, getting CTE and early onset dementia at sort of a young age. But that was before mine and Jack's time. You know, that's dealing with, that was sort of 15, 25 years ago. Since then, we, you know, we've always done the cog sports and, and sort of the, there's always people watching on the touchline for head injury assessments. And they've made a lot of rules around tackle heights and just touching on Jack was saying, like, I, I think um, it's funny because since my accident, I mean, mine didn't actually happen on a rugby field. Um, and my mum's like, right, I never liked you playing rugby in the first place because she, she <laughs> couldn't watch because it's so physical. And then, but and then I, when I dove into the pool and broke my neck and nearly killed myself, she's like, right now, surely, you know, wrap yourself in cotton wool. That's enough of this messing around now. You know, you can be safe. And actually, it's had almost the opposite effect. Like, I just find myself hanging off the side of mountains now. And I'm just <laughs> wondering why that is the case. And I think, I think it's because, like, you realise that actually life's too short. And if you worry too much about when you're going to get injured or, or projecting, like, things that might happen, you know, if Jack goes onto the pitch all the time thinking, what if I break my neck or I do this or I do that, you just spend your whole life full of anxiety. And the likelihood is, you know, you're more likely to get seriously injured or die in a car crash than you are on a rugby pitch. So there's no point in worrying about those things as you go through life. And I think the way 
rugby set up at the moment, there's always going to be those freak accidents because it's a game of numbers. You know, the Michael situation, for example, freak accident, but you know, more people are getting injured in day-to-day life doing normal things. And, and since I, you know, since we've been playing, since the game's been professional, actually in the scheme of things, given how physical it is and how powerful every is, everyone is on the pitch, the medical care is pretty good. You know, we hardly see any serious, serious injuries um, in terms of you know, when you actually think about how many games are going on and how many players are involved. So I do think it's a relatively safe sport. However, it's one of those sports that going to keep having to be made safer especially as people keep getting more powerful keep getting faster those collisions aren't going to be getting any less and you can train your body to be more resilient your muscles and and in certain respects your joints but you can't make your bones thicker and you can't make your skull harder or your brain tougher so it's just going to have to keep getting managed I think you mentioned hanging off the side of mountains because this is it's what you like <laughs> to do for fun now which which to me is uh, <laughs> it's totally bonkers I'm, I'm not gonna lie so so tell me how you got into that you know because you've overcome this this injury and now you you found this this new love yeah, weird. Like you say fun, but it's a lot of the time you're on the mountain and you're thinking, why am I, what have I done? Why am I doing this again? Uh, this hurts so much. Like I'm an idiot. And then it's weird. It's got this addictive thing when you get back and for some reason after two weeks, you've forgotten all about the pain you were in and you've booked another one. But um, <laughs> I, I got into it for, I got into it because I wanted to, you know, I was told I was never going to walk again. And there was a lot of people in hospital who were given a similar diagnosis, like a pretty guarded prognosis there was obviously a chance I could otherwise I wouldn't be walking again now but no one ever told me that I was lucky I had other people sort of motivating me to to keep trying but I saw a lot of people who didn't have that so they they gave up and when it's something like a long-term rehab and um, something that really takes more mental power than physical power to recover from um, you need to give them that hope you need to have that hope to move forward so I wanted to just set an example for people who are in hospital there was a little bit of a shop window there because of being an ex-player and I said on the one year mark I want to try and do a physical challenge, complete a physical challenge to send that message to other people in hospital that look, Ed got told he wasn't going to be able to do this and then he did this. That's how it all started. But then I opened it up to whoever wanted to join in and I thought maybe my nan and a couple, and my dog might come and I turned around on the start line. There were 70 people there who I didn't know and we just had the most amazing weekend. Everyone sharing their own stories about sort of things they'd been through and I realised that even though we didn't know each other, just going and completing something and walking outdoors, it was giving people the sort of confidence to drop their guards down and open up and talk and just had this really sort of fulfilling weekend. I was like, right, what I naturally was like, right, what's next? Ended up going out to the Alps with Restart, who are the rugby charity that I'm now a trustee for and, um, and climbed a bigger mountain and then naturally just kept looking up and up. The opportunity that I had by going out to the Alps and Nepal and all these things, you know, it's not accessible for a lot of people because mainly because it's bloody expensive. But so now I want to give other people that opportunity to have those experiences and then, and hopefully it can make the same sort of changes in them as, as it's made in me. Love that. Phenomenal. Jack, would you, uh, is this something you'd, you'd like to do at some point in, in your life? Hang off the side of a mountain? 100% mate. Anything... Anything away from rugby, which is completely different, I'll I'll bite your hand off for it, mate. So uh, you can count me in that when I get a bit of free time, buddy. Yeah, mate. We we'll might have to have a word with Eddie and Rob first, but as soon as you finish playing, we'll get. <laughs> I'll drag you to Nepal to hang you off a mountain. Fun. Otherwise, I'll get in Deal. trouble before then. <laughs> you've got it. You've got video evidence of him agreeing to it now as well. Yeah. So you can't back <laughs> yeah. out of it. At least you know that. Um, talk to me about this 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 Everest 
uh, thing that you did because you, you kind of climbed Everest in your own way during lockdown, right? Yeah, I get restless, you know, like I just, it was, Captain Tom was doing his thing walking around the garden. So he had the whole, he had the walking thing locked down and I just thought I had to try and do my bit and actually raising money for the NHS, but also for Wings for Life, who Jack will know because they're Red Bull Spinal Cord Injury Charity and um, they had their main fundraising event cancelled as a lot of charities did obviously and they fund like crucial spinal cord injury research looking for a cure and I'd wanted to try and just do my bit to help fill a bit of a hole and I'd set the challenge of climbing that I was going to climb the height of Snowdon because that was the first mountain I did and that was probably going to take eight and nine hours or something going up and down my parents staircase but the way my brain works within an hour I decided to do the height of Everest which was going to take four days 12 hours a day and I decided to camp at the bottom of the stairs as well and do it in like full expedition <laughs> mode. So it was just we had a lot of fun, we had a lot of fun with it, and there was a few reasons behind it. Obviously, to raise money for the charities was was the main one, but also there was a lot of negativity going on. Obviously, it was a stressful time. It was early on in that first lockdown. I just remember watching the news, and it was like, wait, everyone was just waiting for the new death toll, and everyone was just talking about what's next. Oh, this is going to be you know, or jobs, and 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 it, a lot of it was fair enough. But I think your brain's only got enough bandwidth for for stuff and if you fill it full of negativity you're not gonna have any room for any positive energy and I think people needed to turn the news off and start thinking positively about the situation we're in and what we can do with our time to take advantage of this so I plonked an Instagram live session over the morning news and the evening news not as if like the nation was going to be watching but just for the few hundred people who might want to want to tune in and it became a bit of a thing over the four days that it, I, I tried to raise two grand um, and ended up raising 50 ended up on insta lives with like joe wicks and it all just got completely out of hand i remember people were people were tuning in the funniest thing is people were tuning in who didn't know what was going on so they'd be like joe wicks his followers or like has could be djing and they'd look at their insta live (laughs) and there'd be someone there'd be has djing and it'd be like that's that bloke off i'm a celebrity get me out of here djing and then there's another guy walking up and down the stairs um it it just gave a bit of like emotional respite but oh my god it was boring jesus like when you're in the mountains you've got views to look at and you know people to talk to i was literally just going up and down the stairs five and a half thousand times and the only view i had was my parents toilet at the top but it was all (laughs) it it was all worth it if i'm honest with you if i'd only raised two grand i'd have been livid but it was was definitely all worth it in the end (laughs) jack i mean hearing that what's the most ambitious workout you've you've managed at home you you done anything like that before Mate, I wouldn't want to even compare myself to anything like that. Um, not yet, mate. I've not had my not had a chance to or anything like that. But mate, you um, what I, was you, that I, thing you did with Red Bull on the beach? I was yeah. So Red Bull almost made like a bit of an assault course for me, and it was a. Uh, but they wanted to do different, like a different angle on it. Like it would be very easy for me just to be on a rugby field, uh, you know, a few tackle bags and stuff like that. But obviously, me being from Cornwall, they were like, right, let's get them on the beach, which was probably the worst part about it. Running on the sand with rugby boots on was just mental. But with that, it was. <laughs> absolutely crazy because i thought it'd be one of those standard things appearances you know we've all been to them you know you you do a little bit they cut it and then you say you did it um and then they make you look good and stuff like that so i was like oh it's perfect um i'll do that in a day i think i did it i did the course over 40 times in the end because the the very first time i did it um i nailed both the passes nailed the kick but i think i i completed it in like a minute and 10 seconds and i had to do it in under a minute so I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll get this done. And then no jokes. For the next 30 times, I reckon I missed the passes, missed the kick, couldn't pick up the anchor. And I was just like, this is mental. So yeah, it took me two days to actually complete it, to finally nail all the kicks, all the passes, um, and then get it under the minute. But 
it was like kind of that competitive streak came out of me a little bit and I was getting so frustrated that I couldn't do it but yeah it was it was it was pretty class to do and that that sense of achievement after was 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 pretty cool. I I, I asked because I remember watching it and I I was I what, exactly what you said done enough yeah. pre-seasons <laughs> to realise you were properly in a hole. Like, it's brutal. Well, my my mates were like they were like oh there's my mates all said the same they're like oh you never did that like it was one of those things where you did half the course cut it together a couple of kicks in like that but every single every single take that they cut and did that was me doing the whole assault course. Cause I would do it and then I'd stop because um, I missed it. And they're like, no, no, if you miss it, you still got to carry on going through with it. Cause we will cut it at the end. Um, and they even said, they said, if you don't complete it, we're not going to, we're not going to put it out there. Class. So yeah, it had kind of that carrot dangling in front of me. So yeah, I'm glad I got there in the end, but it did take me over 40 times to do it. <laughs> I, I did, I did watch it and I was like, he's blowing a bit here. I reckon I could do, I, I, I reckon I could give that a crack. Yeah. You know? What about you, Nick, mate? <laughs> Same question to you. What What's your biggest endurance event? I ran the London Marathon. I, oh, I did that. Yeah. A few there years back. Um, I didn't do it as quickly as I wanted to though, which was a bit annoying. I, I did it in four, four hours and 20 minutes. I wanted sub four, which was a bit of a shame, but you know, Mo Farah's got nothing to worry about at the minute. So that's, that's still good time cool. though. But yeah, it's all right. It's not mate, l- l- long, long distance running, mate. I did, you know, you know during lockdown, everyone did the, uh, the 5k, uh, nomination thing to try and get people out and about. I did a running session, which added up to one of the rugby running sessions, added up to three and a half K. And then I was like, do you know what? I'll carry on. I'll do another 1,500 meters to, to get my 5K and then I can nominate someone else. I By the end of the 1,500 meters, I think I was walking because the last 100 meters, my back was so tight. <laughs> so I take my hat off to anyone that can run a marathon or run on roads or anything like that because it's, 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 it's a strong task, to, a strong job to have that. But Ed, what, what what's next for you? I mean, Everest for real? Is that on the cards? Yeah, it probably it, it's in the... It's in the background, you know, it's, I'm still a long way off physically. Like I think probably be a two or three year process to get up to that. But next year I've got a fair few climbs, most of them fundraising climbs. Like our charity is basically in a, in a fundraising loop for the last sort of year whilst we were waiting to get full charitable status. Now we've got it. Now we can start taking beneficiaries away. So really excited about that. We've got two trips to the Alps, trip to Iceland. Um, uh, big challenges for me next year in Mont Blanc. September next year going to try and climb Mont Blanc with Leo Holding who's like Britain's leading climber so that'd be a really cool experience um and then to Nepal for a month to try and climb a 7,000 meter mountain so that's going to be quite (laughs) intense because that is camping on them it takes a week to walk to the bottom of the mountain from the nearest road then it's camping on the mountain for 13 days and gets to minus 20 at night and and the way my body works with all my underlying medical issues like my hands stop working when it's about five degrees so um i don't know what it's going to be like doing that and if i if and then if i get up that then who knows i'll, I'll be looking up towards eight thousand meters and of course everest is eight thousand and eight hundred and forty eight. so it's a process like my body wouldn't be able to do it at the moment but i'm training for it it's in the back of my mind um if i get there i get there if i don't i don't but um I just know hopefully it won't be my my head stopping me. It will have to be my body. And uh, I just feel lucky to be able to, you know, walk down the stairs and get into my car, to be fair. So all of this is a bonus. Did you say it takes a week to walk from the road? A week to walk to the bottom of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's before you've even gone up anything. But yeah, yeah, we did it. We did one last year, which is like six and a half thousand meters. It took five days to walk to the bottom of the mountain to like base camp. Then you spend like eight or nine days climbing it. And then we had to walk five days back out. So after we had climbed it, we we're walking five days back out. And one of the passes we went over was higher than Mont Blanc on the walk out. Like the Himalayas is just on a completely different, completely different scale. So um, 
needless to say, this time we, we're getting a helicopter out because right. after you finish climbing, <laughs> after you finish climbing, after you summited, you like, I just want a burger and a bath, please. Like, Ed, mate, when, when, when you're up there though, you know, when you actually like achieve the top bit, so you set yourself up to get to the top, like, what do you feel once you're there? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're there, you've done it. It's been. Pre- I've had some pretty emotional moments on the top of mountains. Um, I bet there's mate, been a yeah. lot of public public tears, but it's because it's just a bit overwhelming because you build up for these things, and I think it's like, mate, do you know what? Uh, it's probably may, it won't be as 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 extreme. Maybe Mirror Peak was just because it was sort of flashback at the culmination of three years of work and like where I'd come from and where I got to. But in the build up to it, you're so focused on like the task, like the next day the next game for you, for example. And then I imagine like you've won enough trophies recently, but like winning the Champions Cup, you know, it's like you don't really think about it until it's right there in front of you and you're like, done it. Like, yeah. where do I go next? And it, it's amazing to have something now in my life that replaces that feeling of winning games. And, and I love doing it with other people. Like I love climbing these mountains. A lot of the time it's an individual, it's an individual pursuit for a lot of people. And I like putting teams of people together and, and achieving things as a group. And I think that's, come over hung, a hangover from rugby I really believe that achieving things with other people is way more rewarding than doing it by yourself and then there's this big energy dump of like uh, what's next like what what you know, there's I always get this sort of one or two month period where I'm just a bit get a bit restless so obviously I have to recover for quite a while like after I came back from the pool last year I lost over two stones. So I just spent the whole time eating and, and trying to recover. And uh, um, and then then I get bored again. And then I start doing something stupid like climbing my parents' staircase. But it's all to do <laughs> yeah. with just having goals and having things to focus towards. And, and I think it's probably pretty similar, you know, like you're building towards something. You don't think about it until it, you actually get there. Then it hits you and you're like, wow, this is... And you think about all the effort it's taken to get there, not just the moment of reaching the top and... Um, and then there's a bit of an energy dump afterwards where you like feel a bit lost for a bit and then you come up with another stupid idea. And you start again. <laughs> Does that sound a little bit similar, Jack, to the to the end of, you know, a, a title winning season, I guess, for you? You know, needing that time to reflect on what you've done and then, you know, pick yourself up again. How do you make sure you pick yourself up again and go again the following season? Yeah, I think pre- pretty similar. I think not into a, a bigger degree than that, but I think the, the best example I have is you know, we've made a couple of Prem finals with the, with the team. The first time we ever got there for the, with the Chiefs. And you play all season. You play how many other games is, what is it, 22 games of the year. That's just that league. And then we get to the final big stage and we lose it. And it's like every single week of that year has led to this one moment. Uh, and we've gone and lost the game. But then we've got to start again. We have three weeks off, four weeks off, and then we start again. So that's kind of like the same, same sort of thing. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's so much better when you do achieve it. Like when we won the game, it kind of makes it all worth it. It makes all that, those hard yards worth it. And I think us losing those big games, those big finals, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have won those games. We wouldn't have won those finals. It gave some of our young boys experience. It gave our whole team experience of playing in front of 80,000 people. Um, so losing it is definitely the reason why we we won it. But exactly the same as, as what Ed said there. Do you know what? We've played you know, two of our biggest games of our life, one against Wasps in the, in the Premiership final, obviously one against Racing for our, our Heineken Cup final. And players go their whole career without, you know, even playing in a final, let alone winning one. But again, it's all down to those those hard yards that we've done in the years before. But again, it's kind of the opposite there now because we've only had two weeks off. We want to go and win a double a double uh, championship again. We want to win a prem. We want to win a Heineken. And us only having you know a week and a half off has probably benefited us at the moment because we've not actually had time to think about 
what we've done and what we've achieved because we're already back into another season. We've already played, well, I haven't personally, but we've already played four games. So, you know, whether that time comes where we do maybe have a little bit of a dip during the season because it does catch up on us a little bit, but the way the boys are playing at the moment and the way the coaches have got the team at the moment, um, we're obviously in a very, very good position. But, you know, the way I look at it is when I retire and I've finished, that's times that I can I can think about what we've achieved and what we've done because mm. there's still so much more I want to I want to achieve at the moment. Okay. <laughs> I want to end on a on a bit of a quick fire note for you now. Um, so just say that the first thing that comes into your head, Ed, that'd be great. So you've just mentioned the nutrition and stuff like that when you're when you're mountain climbing, but I want to know what the best snack is when you're on the mountain. Would you just would you grab? Haribo Star Mix. Ooh, Star Mix. Uh, when you're in rehab, what do you eat? Lots of protein, steak. How many times a day do you train? You know, what's your actual routine? All right, so keeping it short, Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesdays are our main training days. So that's everything on the field, weights, rehab, prehab, uh, conditioning, um, I know analysis and stuff like that. So we'll do that Monday to Wednesday. Thursdays are rehab day or day off. Friday is a light team run. Um, and then it's obviously Saturdays are our main day, our, our big day. But you've got, you've obviously got your own gym. So you, you do little bits and pieces in between when you fancy it in there. I've actually been banned from the the physios to be. They said you cannot do your gym at home because you come in and you keep getting injured. So it was, I was allowed in it during lockdown, but obviously now I'm not allowed in here. <laughs> <laughs> so you've basically just got a gym sitting there empty. I mean, if I lived down that neck of the woods, I'd pay you a subscription to use that gym. At least there'd be no one in there, you know, coughing on the machines and stuff. Uh, how much sleep do you actually need to get? Oh, mate, sleep sleep is a, a big, big one for me. I think that's down, like that's down to everything. You sleep well, you recover well, like you, you feel so much better. I... I try and get anything between eight and nine hours a night, to be honest. And you may say that's impossible with two kids, but I'm lucky enough that my, my missus kind of takes control of that. Um, night before a game, I'll stay in the spare. She'll stay in the spare room and I'll stay in my bed. Um, so I've got, we've got a good little system. Outrageous. <laughs> Outrageous. Ah, oh, look, you know where your bread's buttered. Jeez. Uh, Go to tune for you when you're, when, when you need a bit of a pick me up. Like I'm, a, I'm quite, I'm quite into uh, electronic music. I listen to a lot of deep house and techno and stuff. So probably not tunes you'd recognise, to be honest. Right. But um, <laughs> I think as, as, uh, as a pick me up, um, anything from the chili, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers takes okay. me straight back to my skate day youth. It makes me feel oh. good. I thought you were going to say a techno tune is a pick-me-up. I mean, they just roll on forever, techno tunes. There's never, it's oh, not even a, no. not even a what, drop not, on You're them. not one of them, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same. Ed, listen, lovely having you on. Uh, really inspirational story as well. And um, just before you go, just tell us quickly about the, uh, about, about the charity and, and where people can find out more. Yeah, so charities called Millimeters to Mountains. Probably the easiest way to get to it is, well, millimeterstomountains.org or just through any of my social channels. All the links are in there, which is Ed Jackson 8. The places are, quite, are going quite quickly, but there's still some opportunities there. If people fancy getting outdoors and getting up a mountain and challenging themselves, then we've got some cool trips lined up and it's all 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 of the profits go straight back into uh, straight back into re, into um, supporting the beneficiaries. So it's completely non-profit to be doing a good thing at the same time. And, and Jack, I don't want to, I don't want to throw you under the bus with this, mate. But you know, you can get like a couple of signed shirts out to Ed, you know, for for, for it. Put put it, put him on it now. I've, I've put you on. 
actually, Jack, mate, we're doing one of one of one of our walks. We're doing we're doing sort of a, a mass participation walk the coast. We're walk, we're walking the north coast of Cornwall. Sure, sure. Oh. Anything, mate. Honestly, drop me a message. I'll sort that out easy. I, I know the club would get behind you as well. Lovely. Oh, that's awesome. Cheers, mate. Put my name down as well, mate. If I got a free day for it, I'll come down and, and join in with that, mate. Any excuse to get back down to Cornwall as well? Yeah, definitely. That'd be class. I love that. Listen, Ed, thank you very much, mate. Take care. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Ed, mate. See you soon. Cheers, mate. I mean, a, a really inspirational story hearing, you know, what Ed went through, how he's recovered, and he's also found this this second love in, you know, mountaineering now. I mean, how does it make you feel hearing a story like that? No, I, I, it's weird, isn't it? Like, he's it's, it's obviously very inspirational, and you kind of, you, you meet so many different people, so many different players that you play with, you retire, who then move on to different things. But to hear what he's gone through, like almost losing your life is, you know, that's the top, the worst thing that could happen. But to overcome um, and to almost listen to what he's been through and what he's achieved and what he's come back, you know, me going through a foot injury now, like I could think it's the worst thing in, in life, but it's literally nothing compared to what he's done and what he's overcome. And, you know, what I mean? he puts that idea in your head that like anything is, is possible, anything, you can make anything happen if you really put your mind to it. Because... Like he mentioned in there, a lot of things is mental to mentally be able to come through. And he's self-talked. He's put himself into it. Whereas, right, I'm going to achieve this. And you know, to be climbing mountains, to even he said, even walk down his stairs. You know, they can. They said that to him at the start. He couldn't do that. And to see what he's done now and achieved, you know, he make, makes it believe that anything, anything is possible. And a lot more people need to be, you know, mentally strong like that. And I think a lot more people need to, you know, just listen to him a little bit because he's gone through it. And you can learn that like, I've learned so much just from uh, listening to him chat there. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. Um, you know, the mental side of it is massive, like you say. And also, a good thing that's come out of it is we've signed you up for a walk uh, along the North Cornwall coast. So you get to do that. Mate, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty serious about that. I'd love to get involved in, in something like that. And like you mentioned as well, he's, he's, he's a typical rugby player at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? He can't sit, he can't just sit down and, and relax and chill. Mm. He's got to find something else to do. He's got to climb another mountain. He's got to do another walk. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's giving back at the same time, which is which, which is so class to see. That's why I've always said, you know, when you retire, you won't be able to just sit around and do nothing. I'm telling you, you you'll, you'll get bored out of your head. You'll probably be on the TV doing punditry or something like that at some point. <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Decoding Athletes as Jack gave you a little insight into what it's like to be an elite rugby player. Remember, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe for free at Spotify, Apple, Amazon and all major podcast platforms so you don't miss any of the new episodes as they're released. And while you're there, give the podcast a rating and let us know what you think of it or who you'd like to hear next in the reviews. There are video versions of all the episodes and loads more, including Series 1 of Decoding Athletes with eight-time BMX Flatland world champion Matthias Dandois, plus a whole host of incredible sports people for you to enjoy at redbull.com forward slash decoding. Until next time, bye-bye.